Will you join me please in the book of Jude, second to last book of the Bible, in the book of Jude. Last week we started into this small book. It's bringing our power-packed postcard series to an end as we conclude with these thoughts. Last week we dug into the first seven verses and we saw some amazing truths that helped us to be warned of the apostates that were sneaking into the church and causing divisions and apostasy and rebellion against truth. When we continue this study today and we speak of apostates, understand that apostates are the ones that have turned and rejected the faith, those who have denied the powerful gospel message. It's easy many times to look and to study these, and any time the scriptures bring to light a negative aspect, it would be easy for us to assume that in the church that there are Christians who maybe are described by this. And though in our shortcomings there are times where Christians fall prey to temptation and give in to wrong spirits and wrong attitudes, but this text is speaking very clearly about those who have rejected the faith, those who have turned away from the gospel, that which we know to be absolute truth, and have gone in the complete opposite direction. But unfortunately, that doesn't mean that they have left the church. Because what was taking place in the first century church, Peter, in the book of 2 Peter, would warn of the coming of apostates, false teachers, and Jude is now reiterating the same warning and saying, it's not that they're going to come, it is that they are here. So be aware, be alert, and do something about it. In the first uh, section of verses last week, we studied here how that uh, Jude gave some Old Testament examples of how God would deal with these uh, vicious attacks of apostasy. And what we learned about that through Israel and through the angels and through the Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah was that uh, we cannot be ruled by fear and doubt like the Israelites were. God brought harsh justice and judgment to them. The angels were a picture of a rebellious heart or a rebellious spirit. And we learned here of how to avoid the rebellion that is easy to be drawn to. And then the Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah gave us a reminder that uh, we need to avoid following lustful passions as, uh, as these turn our heart in the opposite direction of God. So Jude is going to reiterate some warnings here. And when we think about this, it's easy for us to think, man, Jude is kind of beating a dead horse or he's reiterating something. It's it's repetitive warnings that Peter has already written about or he's already covered in the first seven verses. And now he's bringing to light more thoughts that we kind of already traveled down. But there's really something important about repetitive warnings. You know, we as parents give the same warning over and over again. Or sometimes you can remember even as a child, mom and dad giving you repetitive warnings. Right now it's keep your bike on the sidewalk and watch out for the cars, right? And that's a a constant thing as the girls get on their bikes and we go for a bike ride and say, okay, are they thinking stay on the, you know, girls stay on the sidewalk, watch for the cars coming around the corner. And uh, they're like, oh, you just said that 10 minutes ago. And they're like, okay, we got it. And, uh, or there's this, you know, we're in Florida, and so, hey, don't get too close to the water. There's probably a 10-foot alligator going to swallow you whole. And uh, those are some very familiar repetitive warnings. By the way, we have a nice sign on the island in the back that just says, hey, don't feed the alligators, okay, and, uh, or watch out for alligators. Now, we have a huge one. He's about this big, and, uh, and so we're getting somebody to come in and remove him. Gators and schools don't really go well together, and so that's just one of those repetitive warnings. 
If you've ever taught, how many of you have ever taught a child, one of your teenagers, to drive? Would you raise your hand? You taught your, your okay. So you, you feel on this one. It's a 10-2, right? 10-2, hands 10-2. Quit driving with your knees. 10-2, okay, all right, you know, and then the repetitive warnings there are very important. Um, yeah, there's the one, don't take candy from strangers. Have you ever been told that or taught that? Like, that's really important. You know, stranger danger, okay? So don't, don't go talk to strangers. And by the way, as a church family, I really appreciate your help with that, with our kids. And we, we know that as a pastor family, you know, your kids are kind of um, in a fishbowl and everybody sees them, everybody wants to talk to them. And, and you're very friendly and we appreciate that. And one of the things we're trying to teach our girls is that uh, to be friendly in return, smile, uh, be cordial, laugh at the corny jokes that the old men try to tell you, just, you know, kind of go along with it. And, uh, and, and they like to tease and so go along, okay? But one of the things that they're still trying to digest is who is this person? Like, okay, are they stranger danger? So they're digesting things in their mind. So please don't think the girls are really snobby. They're just little girls trying to digest a world where, unfortunately, it's not always safe within the four walls of a church either. And, uh, and so we as parents teach stranger danger, be careful. Um, and uh, these are repetitive warnings. Now, why do we say all of that? Well, we know that as a child or a teenager, when they hear these warnings over and over again, they become a little agitated, don't they? But wise parents know the importance of reiteration of such vital warnings. It's so important. So Jude is not being needlessly repetitive here. There is a purpose for that. Paul would even write the same thing to the church at Philippi. In Philippians 3.1, he says, To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. So what is so important that Jude is going to repeat here? He's going to elaborate on something that Peter has already written in 2 Peter, but this is going to be a warning that he is going to give to his readers. Let's look at verse number 8. We'll read together here. Verse number 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Now the word likewise is directing us back to what has already been said, verses 5 through 7. He's also speaking about the apostates that snuck in verse 3 and 4. So he says, likewise, pointing back, these filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh, they despise dominion, and they speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves, destroy themselves. He says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor or Korah, the cousin of Moses. So verse 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The future judgment, verse 14, says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, walking about their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons 
in admiration because of advantage. So in these verses, Jude is, is going to present some more characteristics of false teachers, the future judgment that will come. And this morning, I've entitled the message, Repeated Warnings, Repeated Warnings. And it's so important here because we have all lived through repeated warnings or we continue to give repetition or repetitive warnings to others. Terrorism has always existed in various forms from political assassinations to high-profile kidnappings to guerrilla warfare. All throughout time, men have tried to enact change through violent ways of action. But on the infamous date of September 11th, 2001, terrorism reached a, a whole new level in the United States of America. There were mercenaries from the Al-Qaeda terrorist network. They hijacked the four jetliners and they used them as missiles. You all most know the story, the resulting destruction of the World Trade Center in New York City, the damage to the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and the plane that went down in rural Pennsylvania. By the end, the toll had been over 3,000 people, and it dealt a severe blow to the American economy. So this raised a threat of international terrorism to unprecedented heights in our nation. Many of you can even probably remember where you were when the news came on and when you saw that second jet go through the World Trade Center, you thought it was a, a movie or a replay of something else only to realize you're watching live destruction of terrorism on our nation. So in response, there was strict security precautions that were put in place. I was a bellman at the Hilton in Greenville, South Carolina, and I remember going to work that afternoon and realizing that we were now under a new way of functioning with security, even just in our small Hilton in Greenville, South Carolina. Nationwide, the planes were halted, they were grounded, and, and people were changing their perspective and how they would do things. This strict security precaution that was put into place that helped with airline travel and vital industries and high-profile public events. And prior to September 11th, the United States seemed blissfully immune to terrorist attacks. But after the incredible collapse of the Twin Towers, Americans gained firsthand knowledge of terrorism and its deadly tactics that is lived out. So this coming Tuesday, when our 13 mission team members will travel to Dominican Republic, they will go through a lot of different security measures to get onto an airplane. And we've all lived that for the last 17 years. But do you remember the days that were following 9-11 and uh, what it really looked like for this repeated warning of the Homeland Security Advisory System? How many of you remember seeing this chart over and over again? How many of you this, remember this chart, right? I remember it was a very repetitive warning. It would come up on the screen or it would come up online. It would come up in front of us. And, and we wondered, why is the alert so high? Why is it orange today? What do they know or what's going on? Or should I avoid tall buildings? And, and uh, maybe I should just hunker down or maybe I just need to avoid public events. And, and this was a repetitive warning system they used as an advisory scale. The different levels triggered specific actions by the federal agencies that would be passed down to state and local governments and how they would proceed in different public facilities and airports. It was often called the terror alert level by the media. And the system was replaced in 2011 with a new system called the National Terrorism Advisory System. We haven't seen this on the screen in years. And really our... 
alert system may even be a little bit down because there's not the repetitive warnings anymore. We know that any freedom-loving nation will do everything in its power to defend itself against the terroristic attacks while protecting its very democracy and the people within that democracy. But that's our nation. Now think about the church. The church should be at an even greater level of defense, not for the freedoms of our nation, but we must take note of the warnings that God gives us in keeping the purity and holiness of God's church as it continues to make an impact in people's lives. That's why Jude is here. That's why it's important for us to dissect it. It's important to take note of. Because the apostasy will sneak into a church unaware, verse number 3 and 4, and it'll come in to cause devastation, destruction, and division within any local body of believers. So because today is no different than it was in the first century, the apostates and false teachers are still prevalent in their attacks. They're like wolves in sheep clothing. And so let's study together today what Jude says with these repeated warnings. In verse number 8 through 11, we see that they speak evil of authority. The apostates speak evil of authority. We said in verse 8, this word likewise, or in the same way, shows us this crucial transition that identifies to the readers what we have seen in verses 5 through 7 correlates with what is going to take place in verses 8 through 13. So these are dreamers who reject the word of God and they base their deceptive teachings uh, from their own misguided minds. Now think about this for just a moment because this is happening today. And it's devastating to lives because here's what's taking place. People try to give us some helps or advice or guidance, wisdom, and it's not scripturally based. And when it's not scripturally based, our radar should really take off. Even within the church in the last several years, we have had some who have come in and who have just gone out as well. But after leaving the church, we were alarmed to see some of the false teachings that they were dabbling into and false teachings that completely turned them away from the truths of the Scripture, the absolute truths of God's Word. Now, they use enough Bible words to sugarcoat or to disguise what they're trying to push with their agenda. Now, that happens with all of us. We have to be aware and we have to be careful that the trickery of the devil, the trickery of the enemy, as he tries to use enough of a religious terminology or enough Bible terms to make the pill easier to swallow that we're taking in something that is not biblically sound or biblically true. So how many of you would even say that you know of someone who has been duped in that way? You're thinking right now, somebody that's been duped by the enemy and given false teaching and they took it hook, line, and sinker and, and they try to push it on their social media. They try to push it with friends over coffee and they try to, to uh, push it within a local body of believers. That's why we always have to be so discerning within a church that we have to be triggered at anything that is tried to be taught or anything that is trying to be pushed that is complete opposite of God's Word. That's why we study God's Word. We want to know God's Word, and we want to make sure that our minds are sound in the teaching of His truth. Now, these poor people have been victims of apostasy, and or they are now messengers of that same apostasy. Remember, 
apostate is one who has turned from the faith, one who has gone away and the power of the gospel is not the message they teach and preach. And the whole counsel of God all directs toward the cross. This is about Jesus. From the Old Testament to the New Testament teaching, it's about the gospel. The gospel message which transforms our lives, bringing us salvation. The gospel message which brings us daily growth so that we can live victorious in Him. Now, ultimately, they are refusing to submit to the Lordship of Christ. They do not believe that Christ is truly God or that that's important. They start to then destruct and try to rip apart the Trinity of God. They try to destruct the deity of Christ. And they try to take away all of these very key foundational truths of what we believe today. Now, when this verse says, that these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. And by the way, the dreamers there is that it's coming from their own mind. And all of a sudden it begins to explode and there's a following of people. All because When you look at all false religions, and you talk about some man who had this, this dream and this dream began to build and then they began to get followers and people were hook, line, and sinker. And these are these filthy dreamers defiling the flesh they despise dominion and they speak evil of dignities. This is an attack on authority. And we know that all authority in the home or in the church or in the workplace, in the state, all authority comes from God. And those who exercise authority are accountable to God and they themselves are under the authority of God. And so these false teachers and apostates, they reject the divine authority of God and they reject the authority that God has put into position. Now, this is not the Christian that comes in that becomes disgruntled within a church that can buck against authority that God has placed within the church. That's a whole other topic, and that's a whole other message that happens often, unfortunately, within churches. And when that takes place, there is disunity, dissension, and there's a rejection of the authority that God has placed in that local body. That happens. But Jude is referencing here to apostates. These are people who are trying to push their agenda. They are not looking out for the good, but they are desperately attempting to set themselves up as their own authority. In verse 11, Jude continues with some of this thought about these characteristics and how we must understand that they speak evil of authority. Verse 11, Jude will use yet another list of three Old Testament examples to help the reader to see and learn from the past. George Santiana, I think is how I say his last name, George Guy, he's an American poet and a philosopher, and he once said this, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. You've heard that before. Such was certainly the, the truth here with the false teachers of Jude's day. They didn't learn from the past. They thought they could still get away with this. And Jude uses three more Old Testament examples. First, Cain. Cain was a religious guy, but he was disobedient. He rejected authority, and he rejected the right way of doing what God had commanded. And so he is a prime example of one who departed from God's truth. It started to unravel pretty quickly for Cain. He was a religious guy functioning in a religious family, but then all of a sudden, when it came time to submit under the authority of God, he rejected that authority. He disobeyed against that authority, and then he began to depart from God's truth. Then there's Balaam, another example here. A man who rushed straight into envy and greed. 
What did he do? Well, he was a prophet of God, but he was degraded, or, or he degraded his gifts so that he could use them for his own advancement or for his own betterment. He became greedy, he became envious, and ultimately he looked to destroy God's people. And so God ultimately took Balaam's blessings and caused them to be a curse to him. So Balaam, not a good story. Then there's Kor, as Jude writes. This is Korah, mentioned before, the cousin of Moses. When he was not chosen to be a high priest, now watch this, this is interesting. When he was not chosen to be a high priest, he recruited two others to join him in an all-out rebellion against God's man Moses. Have you ever seen that lived out today? Well, they didn't ask me to be a deacon. Well, they didn't ask me to be a Sunday school teacher. Well, they didn't give me a spiritual leadership position. They didn't ask for my opinion. And Korah was bitter toward Moses, God's leader. And he recruits two others to give this all-out rebellion against God's man Moses. He led a mutiny of 250 men against Moses and rejected his authority. But you know what the result was? Some of you know the result. Numbers chapter 16, write it down, you can study it later. Numbers 16, verses 32 through 35. Let me give you a quick preview of what took place. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that have appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. That's a pretty hefty judgment to rebel against God's given authority. To recruit two others to be within your rebellion and then to give a mutiny of 250 more men. Verse 34, you say, well, this sounds like a sinkhole that we'd see in Florida. No, it's, be it's better because it says, and all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them for they said, lest the earth swallow up us also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. We just, we just together reminisced about September 11th, 2001, and you were remembering where you were and what you were doing. Can you imagine the reminiscing about this some years later, recounting that the earth opened up, swallowed these men, their houses, all their goods, and all their family closed up? Like a Venus flytrap, just swallowing them, and then God sending fire to consume the 250 men? That'd be quite the story to tell. And this came because of judgment on these men for their wickedness in being apostates. So the apostates and their followers will clearly reject and speak evil of God-given authority, but Jude's next repeated warning is this, verse 12 and 13, they are dangerous to the church. They are dangerous to the church. Since the first century, the church has really faced dangers by way of the enemy. We know that through devil, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But also they have faced dangers because of false teachers. They've also faced dangers because of disgruntled people and outside attacks. But the greatest danger does not come from those who reject the faith and never darken the doors of the church building again. It's a sad story to hear. And it's a, a sad reality that happens. But they're not the greatest danger to the church. Even though they may be in the community gossiping about the pastor, gossiping about the church family, 
going uh, headlines with something false claiming against that church body. Those are dangers to the church. But the greatest danger to the church comes from those who sneak in unaware, secretly, and cause divisions and confusion among the people. Ultimately, they cause an abandonment of the faith, an abandonment of the gospel. And what happens is then that church body loses its focus to the Great Commission, to reaching a community that is around them and making an impact in people's lives with the gospel. Because apostasy has come in, snuck in, and destroyed. And Jude is going to explain what they look like and what the dangers are to the church. Let's go through these quickly. Verse number 12, he says, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. First of all, they have selfish motives. 2 Peter 2.13, Peter would call them spots and blemishes. And in verse 12, this word feeding is the word for shepherding. And so what Jude is saying is that these men were only taking care of themselves instead of taking care of the flock. So in their leadership positions within the church, it was all about them. They were not concerned about feeding the flock properly or caring for the flock properly. So they had selfish motives. You know, the proper feeding of the flock is crucial to the health of the local church. A local church will continue to grow as it is fed from God's Word. That's why preaching of God's Word is preeminent. It is important. It has to take place in the church. It has to be a part of why we gather when we gather. And then we find verse 12 that he says, They were clouds without water carried about of winds. So they are empty, uncommitted, ineffective. If you've spent any time out west or you've been to the desert of the Middle East, you would know what the results look like from a lack of rain. If there's no clouds to give of the rain, you'll know that it's dead. No green grass, no fruit, and no abundance of fruit. Now here in Florida, this has been the season of rain, and uh, I don't know when it's going to stop raining. That is just coming down in buckets. Uh, but uh, that gives us green grass, green trees, and fruit on the trees and, and what he's saying here is that this part of the verse is telling us that these are clouds that fail to produce rain. They look beautiful and fluffy, but they lack substance. They look attractive. And we have a lot of attractive cloud coverage during the day in Florida. And you'll see a beautiful white fluffy cloud, or you'll lay on your back with the kids and you'll say that looks like a giraffe, or that looks like an elephant, or that looks like grandma's nose, or a lot of different things that you just kind of go along together. And they're beautiful fluffy clouds, but they produce nothing. These clouds that are just thrown back and forth, ineffective. The apostates look like men who offer help and spiritual guidance, but they're unable to produce lasting fruit. By the way, all of these would be even very important for a church body to be looking for someone that they're bringing in as a potential pastor of their church. Because if this is a man that does not find himself to be motivated to feed the flock, not to have selfish motives, if the man does not find himself to be full and uh, committed and effective with his work and with his ministry, there's a chance that he is going to be blown away with no s substance. And then in verse number 12, the last part of it, he says, they are trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. 
these apostates are labeled as being twice dead, meaning they're fruitless. They are rootless. And what a complete difference from Psalm 1-3. Remember what Psalm 1-3 says when the godly man is described as the one who is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The apostates, the ones who are causing divisions, the ones who are turning our ways uh, and focus off of the gospel, who have rejected the faith, they are going to be dead and fruitless. Then verse 13, they are raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. They speak with pride and arrogance. You see, Jude may have had Isaiah 57, 20 in mind when it says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Many of you have maybe seen this scene in your, in your experience. Um, I was thinking back at a time we were up in Jacksonville for a funeral and we were walking along the coast there in the Atlantic Ocean. And I remember walking along and there was a storm brewing and you could see it in the distance over the ocean. And I remember knowing that it was just a matter of time before it would come onto land. But as you could see it across, you could see the bolts of lightning and you could see the waves very, very rough. And you could see ships out there and then even boats. And you're thinking, man, those guys in the boat, they got to get to safety. They got to get to shore. Those ships are pretty sturdy and huge out there. But you can see that they're going back and forth. And when you think about this raging storm that causes these waves, these waves of the sea, they're foaming out their own shame. We know that these storms can come through and cause great destruction to everything that is left behind. The storms can be devastating. I was talking to the lady the other day that uh, was cutting my hair, and uh, she was telling me about two clients that they have that are still out of their house since Hurricane Irma. And they are still trying to get with the insurance company to get it fixed and trying to get back in their home. Those, that's two families right there that are living daily the, the memory of a storm's destruction. And you know people who are prideful and arrogant, they can swoop through, sweep through very quickly and abruptly with such harshness and damaging effects. And they leave behind them hurt people and broken relationships and what seems to be destruction because of this pride and arrogancy. So the destruction is, is devastating and the effects from someone's prideful actions and arrogant storms of life can really be one that causes damage. Then verse 13, the last part says, they're wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And so they're fickle and falling these apostates are fickle and falling. How many of you ever seen a falling star? A lot of people have seen one. There was a long time where I hadn't been able to see one. Natalie would be like, oh, did you see that? I'm like, no, I, I missed it. And finally, I got to see one and, and see a couple. But if you've ever seen a falling star, you know that a falling star is, is not an actual star. It's a meteor that is suddenly appearing and then quickly vanishes into the darkness. That meteor or that falling star is never seen again in that way. And Warren Wearsby put it this way. He said, the fixed stars, you know, Revelation calls uh, God, uh, Jesus a, a star. And, and we know that the fixed stars can be depended on to guide the traveler through the darkness. But wandering stars can only lead them astray. And so Jude says here, these apostates are like wandering stars. They fall. They're seen for a moment 
and then they are reserved into the blackness of darkness forever. So beware of following a falling star because it could lead you into eternal blackness. Look at verse 16. One last description he kind of jumps to in verse 16 is that they are murmuring and complaining. They're walking after their own lusts. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And Jude concludes this. He says, not only are they complainers, but they're fault finders. Not only are they complainers, murmurers, and fault finders, but they live daily by their flesh, their passions, their lustful desires. They look to have what is not rightfully theirs. They're motivated in such ways throughout their days that they're just going to speak swelling words, but having no, nothing of great substance to back it up. They are using these great swelling words in order to impress people. And Peter even called this type of language as great swelling words of vanity, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. So the description is laid out, and it's really important for us to see that it may not be a heart check for ourselves, unless there's some in here who is struggling with this very thought of apostasy. Uh, but we don't necessarily say, well, this is an area I struggle, although in a Christian's life, some of these are represented as struggles that we need to deal with. But Jude is writing in reference to these apostates, and he ends with this final warning in verses 14 and 15. He says, they will be punished according to their actions. This Enoch that is recorded in verse 14 is the seventh from Adam. It helps us to distinguish it being a different Enoch than the one that was of Cain descendant in Genesis chapter 4. Enoch was the only pre-flood prophet. And the meaning of Jude 14 and 15 is a crucial statement made by Enoch. And there is this reminder of the glorious return of Christ with saints. He says that he prophesied of these things saying, these are the words of Enoch, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. What is he going to do? He's going to execute judgment upon all and to convince or convict all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so Enoch is going to give this prophecy of God's judgment and he says God will judge everyone. What kind of judgment will this be? Well, first of all, it's going to be a personal judgment. God himself will come and judge. He's not going to send a flood. He's not going to send a famine. He will not send one of his angels. He will come with his saints and he will bring personalized judgment. But it's also universal. He will execute judgment on all and no one will escape. But it's also a just, it's a just judgment. He will convict them of their sin. He will pronounce them guilty with no defense and he will pass the sentence on to them as he executes justice once and for all. So Jude finishes here in this section before he comes to this, now this defense against false teachers. And next week we'll conclude verses 17 through 25 to see what is the defense the church must be aware of. But the repeated warnings are so important the story is told of a park ranger at Yellowstone National Park and he was leading a group of hikers to a, a fire lookout. As the ranger was so intent on telling the hikers about the flowers and the animals that he, had, uh, uh, that he wanted to show them, uh, he considered the messages on his two-way radio to be distracting 
And so instead of being distracted by the messages being sent from headquarters, he turned his two-way radio off so that he could stick with his agenda of talking about the flowers and the animals. But as the group neared returning back to the tower, the ranger was met by a nearly breathless lookout who had run all the way to tell them and asked why he hadn't responded to the messages on his radio. The man said, well, it was very distracting. I was trying to do what I wanted to do and tell what I wanted to tell. But the man reminded him that there was a grizzly bear that had been seen stalking the group on their trail. And the authorities were trying to warn them of the danger. Now that's one repetitive warning that probably on the two-way radio would have been very helpful to take heed to. But any time that we tune out the Holy Spirit or we ignore the warnings of the Bible, we put ourselves and those around us in danger. Think about it in our own homes. You know the prompting and prodding of the Holy Spirit. Don't take your family here. Don't consume that entertainment. Don't talk this way. Don't have this as a part of your family life. You know how the Holy Spirit prompts. Hey, go apologize to your kids because of the way you responded to your husband or to your wife. Hey, maybe you need to confront an issue in your kid's life that may be very difficult but very important. These are all proddings of the Holy Spirit. And when those proddings come, they come very repetitively. And sometimes we just turn the two-way radio off because it's very distracting from what our agenda is and what we want to do. But we must take heed to the Holy Spirit's warning and the written scriptures of God's word. Anytime we do opposite, we put ourselves in danger. Church, we must be aware. We must be on guard because we must be ever discerning about what is truth. And we know God's word stands as the absolute truth to guide us in our life. Father, I thank you for what Jude has given to us and wonderful truths to the church we must take heed and be careful of. Lord, my desire would be that we are always ever alert within the church to those that might sneak in secretively unaware to cause division and problems with an agenda that is opposite of Scripture. So help us to be conscientious of that. But Lord, even in the midst of a message like today, there's some applicable truths to our own life. Not to just walk around being so defensive and looking everybody in the eyes wondering if they're the next apostate that needs to be thrown out. The reality is, is often we overlook even the Holy Spirit's prompting in our own life that we may be holy. And so, Lord, would you give us that courage, boldness, and the intuition to be led by the Holy Spirit. May we be sensitive and humbled in that way. May we not uh, reject the God-given authority that is in our life. May we certainly not be a causer of division. The Lord, lead us in ways that would be biblical and right. But Father, if there's anybody today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, would you allow something of this, of this truth today that we study to bring to their eyes their need of Jesus Christ? There's a lot of garbage in our society that is being crammed down our throats. There's a lot of followings, a lot of religions, a lot of belief systems that detract and take away from, from Scripture. But Lord, we know that Jesus Christ, your Son, is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And it's through Him that we can find eternal 
salvation. It's not a multiple choice. It's not I'll take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and hopefully it'll all mix in well to be a delicious eternal smoothie that'll work itself out in the end. Lord, you called for us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after you. The call to be a follower of Jesus Christ is a call to servanthood. It's a call to follow you faithfully. So Lord, would you lead us in that way today to choose to do right in Jesus' name. Amen.